Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Isn't that a cool video? Don't you like want to go hunting or something right now? Uh, welcome back. Uh, my name's Chris. As, as Cherie said, I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to just wish you Happy New Year. Hope that you had a really good Christmas with your family or with your friends. Some of you, you probably were like our family, and you uh, this was the year that maybe you do some traveling. Uh, for our family, every other year we go spend time with my family. And so we were in Ohio uh, with my family. I have two other brothers. And uh, so we, we had a great time, just got back a few days ago. Uh, and, and in our family, on our side of the family, there's about nine grandkids. And uh, we were all in one house, and I think everyone in the week and a half got a fever at least once during that uh, time together. Some of you, when, I, when you were coming in this morning, I was kind of fist bumping you because I want you to be able to come to church next week and not get sick. Uh, because I've been a little bit sick, but we had a, a good time other than the sickness a little bit, had a really good time. And we have, like I said, nine kids on, on, uh, our, in our family, not in our family, but on my side of the family. Every, everyone from little babies all the way up to high schoolers. And uh, all the kids in our family, just like the kids in your family, are all moving forward in different areas. So we have some on my side of the family that are learning to walk and learning to talk, and, and they're at that stage all the way up to we have kids that are thinking about, hey, what are we going to do after high school? And if you remember back to when you were a little kid or maybe a teenager, it was very normal for people to encourage you to take steps that maybe were even out of your comfort zone. And so as a, as a kid, you were, you were encouraged to try new things, to meet new friends, to, to do things that maybe were uncomfortable or pushed you out of your comfort zone, but, but just the, you, you were encouraged to do that. When you were a little baby, it was, man, hey, let's, let's help the little baby take the first steps. And yeah, it's not comfortable. You've never done it before, but hey, let's help him. And then you, you get a little older and the day comes when the training wheels come off the bike. And you remember that probably when your mom or dad or maybe your brother had the bike and the training wheels were off and they kind of ran with you and all of a sudden they let go of you and you hit a bush at least three or four times. But man, they encouraged you, hey, get on up, don't worry about the blood on your knees, keep going, keep trying. And eventually you learned how to ride your bike without training wheels. Then you get a little bit older and Somebody encourages you to, man, hey, you, you need to go try this new thing or create this new thing in school, try this new class, apply for this new job, stand up to this bully, and they encourage you to do things that are outside of your comfort zone, and that's just normal. Then you graduate high school, and, 
and you're encouraged to, hey, find a place to, to go, go to college or find a job, something that maybe you've never done before, but you're stepping out into something new, and it's just part of what happens in life, and, and so people are behind you encouraging you. But, but then what happens is, and, and you know this, something happens. At some point, we find a place as adults that feels comfortable, kind of controllable, and safe. And we, because we can, we stay there. When we were little kids, man, nobody let us stay there. They were always encouraging us to try new things and do this. And, hey, don't be afraid of the dark. And, no, there's not a monster in your, in your closet. So, hey, you do this, try this. But then you get older, and because we can, we stop many times doing things that seem uncomfortable or push us out of our comfort zone. Until, and once in a while, we find ourselves stepping out of our comfort zone when the pain of staying in our comfort zone is greater, then we might actually step out. But most of the time, when we're adults, we're tempted to kind of play it safe. We've been burnt a few times. And so we, we instead of as a, like we were as little kids, trying new things, pushing for new kind of new things, we kind of find ourselves in the same place and not really moving forward. But then every once in a while, a new decade starts, or a new year starts, or we, we read something, or we're around somebody that seems to, to be going after new things in life, and so what we decide to do is, okay, I'm going to set up some goals. I'm going to buy the program. I'm going to set up the spreadsheet. I'm going to do the well, whatever it is that's going to help me take that next step. And, and we, we buy all the supplies and they look really nice on our, on our shelf or on our desk. Or we, we, we set up the, the program and, man, we're going to go for it. And then, if we're honest, we find ourselves... Just a few weeks into it, as soon as things start to get hard or that first resistance comes, we find ourselves kind of back where we started. And it's just kind of the way it is. And, and we know, we almost know it in our head, like, ah, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do this program, but you know, at the end of the day, it's probably going to end up like the last eight programs I tried or did or the last eight New Year's resolutions. And, and so we find ourselves back where we started. And as I was thinking about this, and I wrote this in my notes, I just wrote this question. Is that the way it's always going to be? Is it, is it always going to be that way where at any sign of resistance, at any sign of, hey, this might push me out of my comfort zone, I'm going to stop instead of moving into things that might be a little tough, but on the other side of them might have what God's best is for me. Like, is is. Are my relationships always going to be as shallow as the hard conversations that I'm unwilling to have? Is, is the finances, are we ever going to get to a spot that we don't say, hey, once we make a little bit more, or once I reach this place, then I'll be generous, then I'll have some margin. Is it always just going to be the way it is? Am I ever really going to have a life-giving walk with God? Or is this thing always kind of going to be a little casual? I kind of do it on Sunday. Is it just the way it's always going to be? What about my marriage? 
I mean, am I ever going to have a marriage that really thrives? Or is it just always going to be the way it's always been? And if we're honest, you, you probably have in different areas of your life, you've sought to move forward, you've sought to maybe try some new things, and then you kind of got slapped in the face, hopefully not literally, but you, you kind of got some resistance, and then you found yourself saying, you know what, is it even worth it? Because I can stay here safe, comfortable. Yeah, I might not get to what God's best is for me, but you know what, at the end of the day, it's going to be easier. And that's where we find ourselves many times. And I wrote this in my notes. Somewhere along the way, we stopped pursuing things that were uncomfortable and as a result gave up on some of the greatest rewards in life. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to examine the idea of living a life that is no longer held back by fear, but instead steps into what God's best is for us. Because whether you're somebody that is a follower of Jesus or maybe you're here and you're investigating faith, God has a best for us. God has a best for us. He, he has a best for us that, that he was willing to give his son's life for. Like he, he made a huge sacrifice so that you and I could have what his best was for us. And many times we find ourselves never getting to that place because we're never willing to step past what we're afraid of, or what's uncomfortable. And so in this series over the next few weeks that will culminate on our anniversary Sunday, our one-year anniversary, our one-year birthday, we'll, we'll finish up this series, we're going to look into the scriptures and ask ourselves, God, what is your best for me? And what is it that's holding me back from really taking the steps that I need to, even if they're hard, even if I'm afraid, even if they're uncomfortable, so that I can get to what you have for me, because your way is always best. And there's a story in the Old Testament we're going to start in. And if you, whether you grew up in church or not, you're going to like this story. Because if, if you read through the Old Testament, there is some crazy stuff in the Old Testament. Like there, there's some stuff in the Old Testament that they could make movies about and those movies would do really well. Because man, there, there's some great stuff. And, and the, the guys that we're going to talk about this first week of this series, we find in the Old Testament. And here's what the name of their group is. Simply this. David's Mighty Men. So to David's mighty men, that's, that's the group of people. And, and these guys, there's they're, they're between about 30 and 40, probably low end, and they, they list their names in the Old Testament, but there's between 30 and 40 of these guys. And these guys are the guys that kind of were with David from the very beginning. These guys were part of, of David's army, or, or kind of a part of David's boys that kind of were with him from the very beginning. We're going to talk a little bit about it. And these guys, these 30 or 40 specifically, were part of the bigger army. And these were the guys that were the most elite warriors in David's whole army. And when you read about David's mighty men, you read through the Old Testament, you think you're reading a comic book. Because you read this and you think, is this real? Are some of the things that the scriptures say these guys did, is this real? Because it seems like you're reading a comic book. These guys... There, there were several of them, and they all had weird names. 
But there was one specifically, and he was one of the top five. The, the way this, these guys were broken down, there were the top three. I don't know how you got to the top three, but there was like the three most elite. But then there was a kind of second tier of two or three. And this guy that we're going to talk about, Benaiah, he was part of that second tier. And, and Benaiah was a guy, and we're going to read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 23. He was a guy that was from southern Judah, and his name simply means the Lord builds. And Benaiah was, was one of those top five elite warrior soldiers, one of David's closest kind of confidants. And, and as we read in 2 Samuel 23, you see just a little bit of what Benaiah did and some of the exploits that he did. It says this. It says, he did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed only with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior. This Egyptian warrior was about seven and a half feet tall. And listen to how he did it. He was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the thirty. Though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. And so you have this guy. His name's Benaiah. He's one of the elite soldiers in David's group of elite soldiers. And it says at the end of this passage that that this guy was so close to David. That David made him in charge of his entire bodyguard. Later in, in Benaiah's life, after David passed away, his son Solomon would make Benaiah the, the guy that would headed up his whole army. So this is a guy that's very close to David, that, that is a guy that as you read about him, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. Like this guy is, is not afraid of a whole lot. And as you read about his description, there's one thing in this description that just doesn't seem right. You read about, okay, he killed a champion of Moab. Good for you. You're a warrior. That's what you do. Then you read down about how he killed an Egyptian warrior seven and a half feet tall. Okay, they killed giants back then. Okay. But in the middle of those two things, there's something, there's like a phrase or two that make you think, this guy was a whole nother level. Like he killed the guy, you know, the Moab warrior, good for him. He killed the Egyptian guy. But in the middle of those two kind of stories, you read this and you think, what kind of guy was this? You read on a snowy day. So for most of us, that would be the end of it right there. We'd be like, yeah, I'm definitely not chasing a lion on the snowy day. I'm staying inside with hot chocolate. But, but on a snowy day, so it's cold, wet, footing's probably not great. The next two words, he chased. Not he was being chased. He chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Good for He killed the Moab, killed the Egyptian. The dude on a snowy day chased a lion in a pit and killed it. Uh, you, you read about this, and, and as you, you read about it, you think, why would anyone in their right mind pick a fight with a lion? 
Like a, a lion, I mean, you got a picture there. These, these animals are large, three to 400 pounds. They can run up to 50 miles per hour. They don't run from other animals. You don't, it's just not, even a little kid knows, yeah, that's not the animal you pick a fight with. But, but this guy, Benaiah, he decided that he was going to go down into a pit on a snowy day and pick a fight with a lion and win. There, there's something, and you read about him, and, and some of you guys that hunt this kind of stuff, you think, something's not right upstairs for this guy. I remember in Florida, when I, we lived in Florida, I uh, had some friends at church that about every weekend they would go out hog hunting. And it, for those of you that love to hog hunt, I think you guys are crazy. At least if you do it the way these guys did it. Because what they would do is they would have dogs and they would go and, and in Florida you're you're kind of running through swamps and in swamps there's water moccasins and there's alligators and, and so I mean you're not just running through like clean grass there's animals that are trying to kill you even while you're getting to the hog and, and so what these guys would do is they would go go after these hogs they would kind of find one they would let their dogs out the dogs would corner them and all that makes sense to me. But the next thing they would do, I just don't understand. And, and what they would do is once the dogs cornered the hog, one of the guys would jump on the hog's back. It's just the middle of the night. And they would try to turn the hog over. And it's like, haven't you seen Old Yeller? Don't you remember what happened to the kid? And there's just not so, there's something not right in your head when you're willing to jump on a hog's back or when you're willing to chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day and win a war with it. You, you just don't do that. And this, you, you read about this guy, Benaiah, and it's like this guy must have been like another level of human. But as you read about Benaiah and the other mighty men, you don't find any superpowers. Like none of them got bit by a spider. None of them had a bat cave. In fact, as you dig a little deeper, and we will here in a second, you find out that these guys were average, normal at best. The, these guys were thugs. These guys weren't like the top tier of human. They were not good guys. They were not super talented. They were just normal guys. But what you do read about is courage, loyalty, and the regular occurrence of running towards what others run away from. These guys weren't special, but they were courageous. They were loyal. And they were, on a normal basis, running towards things that other people ran away from. And, and immediately, what we want to know as, as we, we, we read about these guys is, man, what's the secret sauce? Like, like, what's the three-step program that I can start to have courage that will help me to run towards things I've been afraid of? Like, like, what's the program that I can buy? Where can I sign up? There wasn't a secret sauce. See, as you examine this a little bit clearer, there wasn't a secret sauce, but there definitely was a reason that these guys were so courageous, so loyal, and so willing to run towards what others would run away from. And in order to really understand what it was for these guys, you have to look at the man they followed, King David. See, David, he was a guy, and, and whether you grew up in church or not, you probably have heard of David. 
David was a guy that when he was 12 to 15 years old, he was in a pasture taking care of his dad's sheep. And somebody came and got him and said, hey, there's a guy named Samuel at the house. You need to come to the house. And he got to the house as a 12 to 15-year-old young man. And this guy Samuel anointed him king of Israel. So David's now 12 to 15 years old. And it's, there's about a 15-year gap from when he's anointed king of Israel to when he actually becomes the king. And during those 15 years, God does a lot of work in his life as, as God prepares him to be the king. But during that 15 years, at least seven of those years, David finds himself literally running for his life from the current king, King Saul. And so think about David. He's this guy that, man, he's just minding his own business, taking care of his daddy's sheep. He gets anointed king. He's now, you know, in his early 20s, he's supposed to be the king, and, and he finds himself running from the current king because the current king's wanting to kill him. And so this is what David's life was before he actually became the king. And there's, there's a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 22, and it says this, as, as David's in the midst of that seven years of running, it says this, so David left Gath. And escaped to the cave of Adullam. So David's literally, he's running for his life. And he's, he's found a cave to kind of hide in. While he's running for, for his life. And it says this. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. So his family finds out, hey, David's in trouble. David's, he, he's hiding out in a cave. Saul's after him. And so man, his family's like, we got his back. We're going to go take care of him. And so they go and they spend time with him there in the cave. But then read, follow along. It says, Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So in God's providence, while David is literally running for his life, he's hiding out in this cave. His family's come to kind of have his back. And all of a sudden, just in God's sovereignty, God brings these men. And basically, these are guys that are bored troublemakers. They don't have a lot going on. They're bored. They're troublemakers. And they, they began to just go, go and follow David. And, and before you know it, there's about 400 of them. And so David, he has these 400 kind of bored troublemakers that will... In a, within the next few months and years, there'll be a couple hundred more that will be added to them. And so he has about 600 guys. And out of those 600 guys, 40 of them would become known as his mighty men. And, and the, what's interesting is, you think about David, man, you're just hi, literally hiding out in a cave, waiting to become king. Your family's there. You got these, these troublemakers that you're trying to keep your kids away from because they probably don't talk good and they probably say things to kids you don't want your kids to hear. But you, you got these guys here. And so the question, as you put yourself in David's shoes, is, man, how did David take this band of troublemakers and turn them into elite warriors that are still talked about thousands of years later? 
Of course, there was probably strategy. There was probably uh, training and how to fight, all that. But, but there was, had to be something else. Because these guys, yeah, they were great at fighting. And yeah, their strategy was probably great. But these guys had something else that would, would push them to be courageous and loyal and willing to run towards what others would run away from. And so you think, David, what were you teaching these guys at the foundational level that would press them to be these type of men? And what's interesting is while David was hanging out in this cave, while he was having conversations around the campfire, while he was doing probably formal training with these guys, you know what else he was doing? He was writing the Psalms. And it was during this time that David penned Psalms 34. And so as you think about, David, what was on your heart when you were hanging out with these men? What were the conversations like, David? What did you talk about? What did you teach them about God? We don't have to wonder what was on his heart because he wrote it down for us to read. And so in Psalms chapter 34, it says this. It says, I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Maybe another night they're around the campfire and David says this. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Later on in the psalm, he says this in verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Verse 22, but the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge or trust in him will be condemned. Could it be? Just, just imagine with me. Could it be that the courage, the commitment, the willingness to literally run towards the roar when other people would run away from it, could it be that it found its source in what these men believed about God? Like, could it be that it wasn't all about their, their ability or their, their, uh, their skill set? Could it be that as they sat around a campfire with David and David taught them about who God was, could it be that at the foundation of their courage, loyalty, and willingness to run towards the roar was their deep belief in God? See, David, as he's, he's writing to these, or as he writes this down and he's probably talking with these guys, he says, he says, here's what I believe about God. I believe that God is good. And he says, man, I, I want you to taste and see. Hey, guys, you, you, you've had some tough times in life, man. Just test God. Just taste and see that God is good. Because David, man, he, he wasn't in a great place in his life, man. He's hiding out in caves, 
waiting on God to do what God said he's going to do. There's no timetable. David doesn't know if it's five years, seven years, 15 years. He, all he knows is he's hiding out in caves, literally running for his life. But he's saying to these guys, man, God's good. That's what I believe. He says this, God can be trusted. God is with me. In another portion of scripture, David says it this way. He says, where can I go to get away from you, God? Like, where can I go to hide from your presence? If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. I can't get away. You're always with me. Could it be as David rehearsed this with these men that it took root in their hearts and it was the source of their courage, their loyalty, and what made these men different? David says, I believe that God cares. I believe that God is worthy of my life. He, he, David says, you know what? God has a best way. God has a way. And you know what? His way is always best. And, and he says early in that psalm, he talks about how God is great and how he's worthy of his life and, and how his way is best. Like, like could it be? As, I mean, just imagine. Like you're roasting marshmallows in the cave with David. Hopefully, I mean, probably didn't have marshmallows, but if, you know, it'd be nice if they would have had marshmallows. But, but they're, they're hanging out in the cave, and, and David's, man, he's been writing, and now he's just sharing what has been on his heart. And, and you're one of these, these warriors that has, man, life hasn't gone well for you. You've made some huge mistakes in life, but you're watching this guy who is supposed to be king, who's now running for his life, and you see a confidence in God that is unlike anything you've ever heard or seen. And he talks to you about how he believes that God is good, how he believes that God cares, how he believes that he can trust God. And, and before you know it, it becomes the, the, the DNA of your own life. You see it by example, but you also see it and hear it as he talks to you. You watch him when, when things are great, and you watch him when things are terrible. You watch him when he's afraid and when he's confident, and you see this continual foundation of his belief and his deep belief in God. And, and David, you, you can read through the whole story of David, and if you've read through the story of David, you know that Man, David had some tremendous ups and highs and some tremendous lows in his life. But there was something inside of David that even in the midst of his lows, he had a belief in God. And it's that belief in God that actually brought him back from some of his lows. And so I wrote this in my notes. It's a simple question. Could it be that the reason you and I live safe, sometimes mediocre lives, instead of stepping into God's best, is that we simply don't believe God. Don't we, if you're like me, don't you have about eight or ten other things you can blame? Like, like when things don't go well, or when, when you step towards something and, and it doesn't go well, and you kind of find yourself resisting uh, God's best for you. There's, a, there's eight or ten other things that I can point to. But at the end of the day, it's probably because I don't believe God. Like, like think about the different areas of our life. I, I asked myself this question. What would 2020 look like if you and I believe what David did? 
Like, what if we not just kind of in our minds and in our, off our lips, but what if we deeply believed that God is good? What if we deeply believe that God's way is best, whether I like his way, whether his way is easy? What if, what if I really believed like David that God's way is best? What, what if I really believed that I could trust God? Like, yeah, I can trust God when things are good, but when things aren't good, what if I could lean into God and really believe that I could trust him? Like, what if I believed deeply that God was worthy of my life, that his way was best? What, what would that look like? Think about the different areas of our life. Think about our marriages. Like, if I really believed that God's way was best, that I could trust God, that God is good, that God understands and cares, how would that affect my marriage? What about my walk with God? If I knew that and believed deeply in my heart that, that God understands and has a best way for me and that he can be trusted, man, what would that, how could that change my walk with God? What about my finances? If I really believed that, that God had a best way and that, that, that he was a provider and that he cared, how would that affect my finances? How would it affect my future? How would it affect my goals? If at the heart of everything I did, I had a deep belief in God, who he was, what he said about himself. And here's the, here's the thing. This is, this is real important to think about. See, sometimes we believe things about God that really aren't true. And so when I talk about believing God, I'm not talking about believing God because I felt something. Because I can feel a lot of really weird things. And I can, I can try to wrap a verse around most of those feelings and kind of make it sound like, oh, that sounds kind of spiritual and kind of let myself do what I really want to do and try to spiritualize it. But when I talk about believing God, I'm talking about believing what his word says, whether I like it or not. Not believing what I think about God or what I want about God or what I feel, but what does God's word say? And, and can I trust his word? Can I trust his way is best? And if I can, what would that do in my life? See, if we decide not to believe God, we will never run towards the roar, but will instead choose what is safe. And that's as an individual, and that's also as a church. If we decide that, you know what, what God's word says is good unless it gets difficult then that's going to cap us as a church. That's going to cap how we reach people, how we love people. If I, in my, in my own walk with God, if, there's, if I decide, you know what, I'm going to believe God in these four areas because I kind of like what he says in these four areas, but I'm not, I don't really like what he says there, so I'm going to pretend that verse doesn't exist or I'm going to try to say that it's a different context. And this verse, I don't even like to talk about that because that's way off of what I really want to talk about or live then that's just, my life's always going to never get to what God's best was. And so here's my question. As we kind of close this first message up, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want us to leave today with like all this figured out. Because I don't think you can figure this all out in, like in one 
20 or 30 minute, you know, talk with a guy that's sick and probably spitting on everybody in the front row because he's sick. But, but there's, I, I do want to ask you a couple questions. I notice no one sits on the front row. It's probably good. But here, here's the questions. And this is what I want to leave with you. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's investigating faith, whether you're kind of not sure about this whole Jesus thing, I want you to, I'd encourage you to grab hold of these two things I'm going to tell you and, and think through these this week and then come back next week and let's continue to dive in. Because I think by the end of this month, I really think God's going to do some things in our gathering and in our individual lives and families as we lean into what God says and do we really believe him. So here's the two things. The, the first thing is this. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there something that I have been avoiding that if I believed God, I would step into? Think about that question. And, and kind of contemplate that question throughout the week. And just ask God. God, maybe nothing comes to mind. Maybe for you, like two things come to mind right away. But, but I want you to maybe meditate, think on this question over the next week and just ask yourself, all right, God, is there something that I've been avoiding, something that's probably your best for me that might not be the most comfortable, that if I really believed you, I'd step into? And just let God tell you what he's going to tell you. Just... And, and here's the second thing. This second thing's easier. It's less convicting. The second thing is this. Read Hebrews 11 at least one time this week. Read Hebrews 11 one time, at least one time this week. And then next week when we get back together, uh, we're going to continue to think through this. Hebrews 11.6 says it this, it says this way. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And my prayer for us this month, as we move into a new decade, as we move into a new year as a church, is that we would be individuals, that we would be families, that we would be a gathering that never allows being pushed out of our comfort zone to stop us from doing what is God's best for us, personally, but also as a, as a gathering. Because I believe that if, if we can get past that in our individual lives, we're going to have some stories to tell. We're going to have some stories to tell a decade from now of, hey, man, this is an area that, man, I did not want to step into, that I had questions about, that, man, I was even afraid of, that was out of my comfort zone. But because I was willing to believe God and move past my comfort zone, here's how God worked and transformed. And I believe that'll happen as we really seek who God is and ask ourselves the question, do I believe God? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for just our, our time together this morning. And Lord, we, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that we can look back to literally thousands of years ago, these, these, this group of men that weren't anything impressive. In fact, they were probably guys that uh, were troublemakers, kind of thugs in society. 
but you used your servant David and his deep belief in you to transform these men into what we know is now David's mighty men. And God, I pray for each of us as, as we seek to just ask ourselves the question, is there, is there anything that we need to be stepping into that maybe we haven't because we haven't believed you? Lord, would you show us? Would you search our hearts and really make clear to us the areas of our life where we have not believed you? And God, we, we believe that your way is best we believe that you're all-knowing, and so you, you know the beginning from the end. And God, we want to lean into trusting you. We were never meant to carry the weight of worry and anxiety that we sometimes put on ourselves. We were meant to lean on you and move into your best for our life. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us this month as we dive into this series. In Jesus' name, amen.